0: Father God, as we come to the preaching of Your Word, we we need Your Spirit, Father, to move. And uh, as I always pray, Lord, this is not about Alex, not about me, but it's always and constantly and forever about You. And so I pray that Your Spirit, Lord, will move aside my pride, Lord, my ego, my reputation, and Lord, let my focus and my heart be upon You, getting all the glory, and You being lifted up, and You being honored. And I pray that wherever your people are dealing with this morning, whatever circumstances they're living in, I pray that your preached word would speak truth into their life, that they may be encouraged, challenged, Lord, built up, and and strengthened, Lord, in your grace, through the power of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In in his book, Ministries of Mercy, uh, The Call of the Jericho Road, Pastor Tim Keller states that the kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. As things are brought under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. This is something that All believers have to understand and constantly remind themselves of that that true restoration in this life comes only through Christ, through him. And as that happens, he renews renews us. He renews our broken world. And so we should want and desire to see lost people, the things that are are broken, things that are simply self-sufficient and lost, We want to see those things brought under Christ's rule and authority. We should pray for that. All through the power of his gospel, by the work of his spirit. And this idea of being brought back under the Lord's rule and authority is not some modern concept. It's not something that I just came up with this week to put into a sermon. But the whole Bible, if you think about it, is about that. It's about him bringing lost people to himself. saving faith. Israel's return from the exile, what we've been talking about in Nehemiah, is is one example of the Lord bringing his people back. He brought them back to the city in which he had chosen to make his name dwell. What city is that? Jerusalem. And in this restoration process, the Lord also restored their worship, their community, their personal dignity. Remember what Isaiah's brother said to him? What did he tell them? What did Isaiah's brother say to him? Not Isaiah, Nehemiah's brother. What did he say to him? Wrong guy. He said the people were in great trouble and shame. The people were in great trouble and shame. And the walls of Jerusalem was broken down. its gates destroyed by fire. So it it wasn't just the, the restoration of the wall. The people themselves needed some restoration right personal restoration two weeks ago we said we said nehemiah it was going to take nehemiah's time consistency and presence to fulfill the lord had called him to do it It wasn't going to happen overnight it'll take time consistency and presence why For there was two factors that he had to consider two things he couldn't just look over and gloss over one was the opposition The second was the community, which is made up of land, the buildings, and most importantly, the people living in that community. So we saw Nehemiah take a mental note of the opposition. Who was the opposition? Sam Ballard and Tobiah. And if you remember from that sermon, he never engaged them. He never said a thing to them. It was a mental note that they didn't like me, and they hated the fact that I was here seeking the welfare the Jews. So, he took a mental note that there would be opposition to this work. Second, he had to consider the people and the land. What did he do? He, he went on a, a an inspection of the wall. He couldn't just rely on second hand information of his brother, so he went out in the middle of the night and looked at the damage. Looked at the city and everything that was needed. And he had to consider the people. You know why? Because he was going to need those people. He couldn't do it himself. But like the opposition, he did not engage the people. He didn't tell them yet that, why he was there. He didn't tell them yet why he came to Jerusalem. He didn't tell them what the God has put upon his heart. He was waiting for the right time, waiting for the right moment to let them know why he was truly there. And this week, he does. This week, he finally speaks to the people. He finally lets them know why he is in Jerusalem. And as he does that, he also communicates to them, we need to do the restoration together. We need to restore together. He wants the people to help. It can't just be him. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who would do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, with its gates just burned by fire. Come, let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer shame. And I told the people of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, And also the words the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for the good work. So he finally engages the people. And the first thing we see here in terms of of him wanting to restore the community together is that he wants their participation. He wants them to participate. He said, I, the, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, who, and the rest who would do the work. He expected the people living in the community to have a hand in the restoration of the wall in their lives. Like I said last week, it would have, as I said a couple weeks ago, it would have been unhealthy for him to just go on in there and start imposing his own plans. And I did, without even talking to the people, without even letting them know what was going on, that would have caused harm, I think. The people that lived there needed to participate in their own recovery and not have Nehemiah come in dictating everything that was going to be done without him even talking to them, as if they're not there. Nehemiah knew. He knew the people were in great trouble. He knew they were in shame. But how could he help them Without causing further harm. How? Because, you know, you can help people and still hurt people at the same time. Some of us have received that, and some of us have done that. Right? Yes. So how is he going to be able to help them without hurting them? And one way is that he's going to let them participate in the restoration. That would help them to create some sense of ownership. Hey, we can do this together. Notice that his inclusion of them, it did not come from an elitist mindset, top down. I'm the boss. You listen to what I say. Nor is it coming from a bottom-up approach. It's all inclusive, man. I'm here as one of you. Every person in the community can participate. It didn't matter where you were, your social status, or whatever you're dealing with. Everyone could help with the work. Who could help? Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and everybody in between. What does that mean? If you're a working man or woman, you can help. If you're the spiritual leader, pastor, you can help. Ministry leader, you can help. If you're someone, if you're a community leader, public figure in office, then you can help. You can not only help, the expectation is that you will help. One group was gonna do all the work, but the other group sat up high and say, well, I don't wanna get dirty today. I just let, I let them do it. I sit here on the porch and drink some kool aid and sweet tea. No, everybody that lived in the community was expected to help, expected to participate. <coughs> so the whole community was gonna do it together, shoulder to shoulder. Why, why is that important? Because they all are equal in the eyes of God. They all are equal. Every Jewish person in that community at that time, and even all of us today, were created in the image of God. Everyone. Every one of them. And as such, they all have worth, value, and dignity. It didn't matter what their social status was. And they also had gifts and abilities and insights that could be useful in this restoration process. Nehemiah simply had to find a way to tap into that talents and gifts without hurting the people, in order to encourage them to participate. My father-in-law, <coughs> he has, he's visited here before with with, with my mother-in-law. Y'all probably met them. He has a heart of servant. Whether it's in the church, his family, his friends, if there's a need and if he can help, then he's going to help. This is the type of man he is. And I remember him telling me about the times he would cut this lady's grass for her, free of charge. And as he cut the grass, her grown sons sat on the porch and watched him cut the grass for free for their mom. And when he told me that story, I couldn't help but say to myself that something's wrong with that picture. Why is it that these grown men would sit on the porch and watch my father-in-law cut their own mother's grass while they're living with their mother? but they will not help. You see, is that mean on my part? No, it's not mean. They needed to participate in that work. It would have been good for them to be stewards and take ownership of what God has blessed them with, the property that God has blessed them with. Their participation would have been good for them. It would have. I just finished reading a book called When Helping Hurts. It's a book about how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor yourself. Even though the book is about poverty, I I believe the principles in that book can be applied to any ministry that you engage in in which people are hurting and suffering and dealing with great difficult circumstances. One of the principles the authors say in this book is, don't do things for people that they can do for themselves. Don't do things for people that they can do for yourselves. He says, memorize this, recite it under your breath all day long, wear it around your neck every day, for keeping on the forefront of your mind, for it will keep you from doing all sorts of harm. It will keep you from taking over. You see, whenever we engage an individual person or a group of people going through some difficult situation, We have to be willing to let that person sit at the table when it comes to providing help. You just can't go over and tell them this is what we're going to do for your life without even talking to the person about their life. Let them participate. This is true in the church and outside the church. If you have marriage problems, financial problems, vocational problems, addiction problems, or whatever it is, If you're not willing to participate, there ain't much I can do. There ain't much I can do if you don't want to participate in your own recovery. Because it's going to be like this. I can't fix nobody. I can't even fix myself, people. I need Jesus to do that. So I can't fix your problems. Don't do things for people they can do for themselves. This was Nehemiah's reproach. He expected the people to participate in the rebuilding of the wall. That was the expectation. Otherwise, we simply impose on others and we can do more damage to them and to ourselves because eventually you're gonna get tired of cutting the grass and seeing those guys sit on the porch and not help. Eventually you're gonna get tired. You'll get discouraged and you're not gonna help anymore. That's what's gonna eventually happen. So you're gonna end up saying stuff, and doing stuff that hurt you and to hurt the other person. Because you go in with these unrealistic expectations. There has to be boundaries set and put in place. This is something I have to remind myself of every day. Because I have a Mr. Fix-It personality. If I see a need, then I try to fix it. And the problem with that is it, it, sometimes I can take over a person's struggle, take ownership of it as if it's my own, without even engaging the other person. I, that can cause great harm in the long run. That's unhealthy. Many of you remember the story I told you about the time I I spoke to those group of seven to eight grade boys. Do you remember that story? Do you all remember that? And I told you how bad it was for me, how they didn't listen to me. They gave me a hard time. And as I look back over that, I realized I could have done some things different myself. You know, I, I went there with the attitude that all these boys need to be fixed. They all were bad. They all were bad. They wouldn't listen to me. And so I went there with the wrong mindset. I went there with the wrong mindset. And I think that came off. And it was good for me that things went bad. It was good for me that my ego and pride was humble. Because it was when they wouldn't listen to me. And yeah, I needed that. And, and, and looking back, I should have went there with a different mindset. people, Because... Each of those boys that was in that auditorium was creating the image of God. But you know, what? I failed to take notice of that. I assumed that they were all bad, that nothing in their life was good. And so I had to go there and speak to them about character as if they didn't have any. And that was shame on my part. Because yes, they they are living, some of them are dealing with difficult issues and, and situations, but everything in their life is not unhealthy and bad. And you know, and, and, and you know what, what, why I did that? You know why I thought that way? I assumed because of the way they lived and went to school that they were the way they are. I assumed because they went to this school and lived in that particular neighborhood that all their life is broken. That's not right. That's not right on my part. I failed to take notice that even though they live in a particular neighborhood, and even though they went to a particular school, they still had dignity, self-worth, and value because they are created the image of God. And because of that, not everything in their life is broken. There's something in there, something in and out that, 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 that reflects God even though they live in difficult circumstances. So I had the wrong focus. Every person that you're going to come in contact with in your life, wherever you go, is creating in the image of God. Now here's the thing, the image is shattered because of the fall, because of Genesis 3. But it's not completely destroyed. You realize that, don't you? Because if it was completely destroyed, that would be, the world would be a lot more evil than it is. You realize that, right? If we were truly as simple as we could be, the world would be a lot more evil than it is. God's common grace still extends to all mankind. Remember the sermon I preached on, Genesis 3, the exception of the gospel? Remember that even though Adam got kicked out of the garden, you do do know that was a blessing too, right? What would have happened to Adam if he would have ate ate from the tree of life in his fallen state? What would have happened? He would have been sinful and fallen forever. So by God kicking him out, that too was a grace. Even though it was a punishment. Even though it was a punishment. Because if he would have stayed in the garden, he was going to eat from that tree. He was going to eat from it. I would have ate from it. But God kicked him out. Even though it was a punishment, I believe it was still a grace as well. So... So my train of thought So here's another thing that, 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 the, that the spirit kind of broke me of is, is status, wealth, material possessions does not equal health. And sometimes we think they do. Status, wealth, material possessions does not equal health. Nor does limited status, limited wealth, limited possessions Equal, unhealthy. Because if you have that mindset, all you're going to do is try to make people just like you. And once you have all the stuff I got, then you'd be good. That's not true. Because you can have all those stuff and still have a bad marriage, and still be a crappy parent. So you can't look at stuff, status, and wealth as a sign of health. But if that's your mindset, that's all you're going to be calling other people to those so same things. Put. Pointing them to the wrong direction, pointing them to the wrong safety. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than us. You see, what builds and restores worth and value and dignity is not always focusing on everything that's wrong in the person's life. Think about if, if you were in a situation. If I, every time we got together, all I did was point out how bad of a dad you are. That's all, man. You sorry dad. Man, is that building you up? If all I all I do is do that. What if I came to you and said and saw other qualities in you, or how you are a good dad, and pointed those out too? Does that build dignity in you, value in you? Yeah, I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna gloss over the things you need to do better, but I need to be able to see some of the things that are going well, not just everything that's bad. It has to be a balance, is my point. It has to be a balance. Because you can have value, dignity, and self-worth despite circumstance despite what you don't have. You can still have those things. You still do have those things. The people in Jerusalem at the time still had those things. Even though the city was broken down, even though they were in great trouble and shame, they still had those things because they created an image of God. Nehemiah had a final way to tap into those gifts and talents that they already had in order to get them to participate in their own restoration, from their brokenness, from the brokenness of their lives, the brokenness of the wall. And and brothers and sisters, that's empowerment. Empowerment is what Nehemiah is going to do next. Empower the people. Empower those who are downcast. How is he going to do it? How is he going to empower the people to participate? Because he can't guilt them into doing it. Or demean them into doing it. There's a healthy way to do it without hurting the people you're trying to help. Verse 17 he said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer reproach or distress. I have told them, and I told them of the hand of my God, that have been upon me for good, and also the words the king has spoken to me. The first thing he does here is, is that he uses the correct pronouns. We Now I'm here and you're there. We and us. You see the trouble we are in. Think about it. Nehemiah was living in Persia a few weeks ago. Now, is he really in trouble? No, but he identifies with them. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem together that we may no longer suffer reproach. He, he's speaking to them as they're equal. Not as someone far above him. Not as someone smarter than them. Not as someone much brighter than them. But we're equal. I have issues too. Just like you. I'm one of you. Because he wanted the people to walk with him. To learn with him. To fight with him. To labor with him in the process of restoration. They would do it Together. Together. He relates, through, he relates to them. He relates to what they're going through. And, and where are they going through? One author says, it's the, distress, the, the disgrace that they're going through. The insecurity of what they're going through that strikes Nehemiah. There's two things that's going on here that he relates to. It's the physical and the spiritual restoration that's needed. The wall deals with protection of the city. Physical. But it also is a spiritual brokenness. The shame the trouble, the guilt that they feel, that's spiritual stuff. And you have to relate to both. Because we all go through it. I do. Don't you? Or is it just me? I'm out of an island by myself. We all have need spiritual restoration. Even when you come to know Jesus, there's gonna be times in your life when you need spiritual restoration. Or do you believe once you come to him everything's all good all the time? Huh? I don't need no restoration, Alex. I'm good. No. With, you're going to need that all the days of your life until you cross over the world. And in the process, he also restores broken families, broken relationships. He does that. It don't happen overnight, but it happens. The power of the gospel. Remember, when Christ, what the Keller quote, when things are brought back under the rule of Christ, they are restored to beauty, health, the cost of life. It does happen. So, what you also see here from Nehemiah is that you don't have to have the same issues I have and the same problems I have to be able to engage me and relate to me. All you have to do is be mindful that you do have your own issues. And I'm always going to remind you of that because you always forget you do. I forget I do. Who has issues? And when you forget that, that's an issue. I'm always gonna remind myself of that. Because once you forget it, that's when you start hurting other people, looking down on other people, as if you got it all together. So, Because you want to know, to communicate to people that we're in this together is the point. We want to walk together. We want to restore together. We want to learn together. We want to fight together. We want to struggle together. And what does it look like? How do you get to a place where you can walk together, a place where you can actually restore together, a place in which you can actually empower one another in the body or whether you're in the community? First thing we have to do, we have to curb our assumptions. I said this two weeks ago. You have to curb them. Like I should have done when I spoke to those boys. Don't assume you know more about a person's situation than they do. Don't assume you know more about being homeless than the person who's homeless. See what I'm saying? Don't assume you know more about being materially poor than the person who is materially poor. Don't assume that. And don't assume a family is broken and unhealthy just because it don't look like your family, or function like your family. Don't assume that every male that lives in a certain community is a dad beat dad when you never engage that man to talk with him. You're just going on assumptions. Are you guilty of that? I know I am. Don't let your assumptions and second hand information determine your view of other people. Because we do. We do. I don't give to that. Particu- in ministry you give to that. You you, you 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 make I make judgments on certain pastors, even though I don't even know the pastor personally. I go on with what other people say about the pastor. Second hand information. And we all do it to everybody. And we need to repent of it. Because if you don't curb your assumptions, you will make a donkey out of yourself at some point. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. So curb them. So curb your assumptions about me. Curb your assumptions about one another. Curb your assumptions about people in this community. Curb your assumptions about the people in your neighborhood. But things ain't all gravy there either. If you can be a fly on the wall, then you'll know what's going on there. So if, what if you're going to have assumptions... Here are some healthy assumptions you should have. We're all equally messed up. We're equally broken. We equally need Jesus. We equally need Jesus. We equally need spiritual and physical restoration. We equally need his grace every day. It ain't just one type of person in need of that. You need it and I need it. If I ever get to the point where I I think you need more grace than me, then I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. You need grace just as much as everybody else. Don't forget that. And so how does it? How does this type of thinking empower another person? It empowers because it lets them know they're not alone in the battle. Church has become a place where people hide their issues. You have everybody in the church dealing with the same thing, and they don't even know it. I'm just the only one. And the, net, the guy next to him saying the same thing, I'm just the only one. Well, I'm just the only one. You know why they think that way? Because they're there with masks. Pretending that everything's all good when it's not. You're honest about your stuff so that people would know, man, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. When I was interning at that church in Greenville, South Carolina, I started a men's group called Therapeia. Therapeia is a Greek word that means healing. And it was an accountability group that dealt with the issues that guys deal with. You know stuff that guys, you know what those issues are. I don't need to listen. If you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about. And if you say you don't, then you're lying. And so, one of the things that came up in the group when we first started meeting was some of the guys would say, I'm glad I'm not the only one who struggles with these things. For so long, I thought I was. These are church guys now, Christian men. I'm glad I'm not the only one who struggles with these things. For so long, I thought I was the only one. Listen, if you're here this morning and your life is not where you want it to be, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with all sorts of problems and issues, your dreams haven't panned out, you're not alone. You're in a room full of other people just as messed up as you you're here with a room full of other people whose lives have not turned out like they want it to, whose marriage still has to grow, whose kids are not perfect, whose job situation isn't perfect. You're not alone in the battle. We're in the battle together. Even in your darkest hour, there's still hope for you. I'm here with you. I'm in constant need of restoration in my life. I don't have it all together. I never will have it all together. We need it together. We walk together. We struggle together. And we're going to be honest together. That empowers Because so you realize we're not as different as you think. We're not as different as you think. We're not. Now, Nehemiah, he just didn't empower the people by using correct pronouns. He also had a correct perspective the most important thing. Look at verse 18. And I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king has spoken to me. So what's the correct perspective? That the call to restore is the work of God. He's at work on behalf of his people. Nehemiah told them everything the Lord had done. Don't forget what Nehemiah went through to get to Jerusalem. And it wasn't just him doing it. The Lord was making a way. You, you remember, you haven't forgotten the first part of the book, have you? Okay, this is what he's telling the people. How God moved. How God m- made that meeting with him and his brother. And how he had that, the heart to do something. How he prayed for four months that, that the Lord would make a way for him to talk to the king. And so he can actually go to Jerusalem. And he told them how God moved how God granted him favor in sight of the king and how the king gave him every request that he made because God was at work on his behalf verse 18 is Nehemiah testifying to the goodness of God that he has not forgotten his people and by him being there is an example of that look at what Jesus did look at what your God done look at what he's done, look at what he's getting ready to do for your behalf even though you're hurting, even though your situations are not what you want it to be, your God is at work, even if you can't see it. And by Nehemiah standing there that day, it's a testimony of that fact. You see, the correct perspective, you got to bring the gospel. That's the correct perspective. Testifying to the goodness of God in your own life, that's the perspective because it has to be more than just having the correct pronouns the restoration source has to be tapped into and that's Jesus it's not just me and you not just us Jesus is where we have to take each other I have to point you to Christ you have to point me to Christ otherwise what are we doing can't look over that that's my foundation That's the source. That's the correct perspective. Remember Keller's quote. The kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. Do you have supernatural force? Do you think our vision statement and our money and all that stuff have natural forces? No, it doesn't. As things are brought under whose rule and authority? Whose rule and authority? Christ. They are what? Restored to health, beauty, and freedom. Which means if that ain't happening, then nothing's getting restored. I don't care what we do. You see why prayer is important now? That's why it's important. Jesus cares about every area of a person's life. The spiritual brokenness, the physical brokenness as well. He wants to bring restoration to all of them. The first Person has to come to saving faith in Jesus. Oh. Saving faith in Jesus. The entrance of a new relationship with God. Restored relationship. Because understand this. The first thing when you come to Jesus that, that he does, he restores you to your father. That's the first thing that gets restored. That's the first reconciliation, the most important one. Because everything that flows out of that is secondary to that. That's what the cross is. It's more than just him dying for your sins. He restored you to God. That you can know God. And because of that, the good hand of your God is going to be upon you all the days of your life. And you can testify to that. When you, when you share the gospel, folks, testify to that. That good hand of my God has been upon me, and this is how. Is. This is what he's done from, and, and so you're connecting people to the source of restoration, and that is Jesus. And once the gospel grabs hold of a person, they will stand up and say, well, let us stand up and fight together. Let us rise up. Let us strengthen our hands. That's because the gospel is at work. Not just because Nehemiah gave, gave a fancy speech. Because God was at work in his people's hearts. Prepare them to get ready to to labor for the work. So don't don't lose sight even of what's happening with Nehemiah here. It's supernatural what's happening. Because the Lord has already been restoring them, right? The restoration has already started. It started with Zerubbabel and and with Ezra. Nehemiah is the final piece to it, with the wall. So it's been going on. It's been happening. And And it's happening in your life. Paul says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you, in you, and you and you and you and you and you, you, you would do what? Carry it on to completion dead to death of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. That nothing you go through is gonna separate you from God. The fact that when you leave here today, you're gonna say some things think some things that you probably shouldn't think, and Jesus still gonna love you. He's still gonna love you. And if you're a new believer, there's gonna be times when you struggle. There's gonna be times when you fall short. Jesus died because of that. He died because of that. It's a battle. It's a struggle. We do it together. On April the 23rd, 1910, President Theodore Roosevelt gave a speech in, in Paris, France. And he called it, the, the speech, The Man in the Arena. Listen to these words. He says, It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who who points out how the strong man stumbles, or the the doer of the deeds, who could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives bravely, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails by daring greatly. So his place shall never be the, with those of cold and timid souls who need to know victory and who need to know defeat. You see, when you engage in any type of ministry, you're going to know victory and defeat. You're going to know it. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably gonna say something that hurts one of you in a meeting. You're gonna to try to do something that hurts me in the meeting. That's just a part of doing life together. The more we do life together, the more feelings are gonna get hurt. The more we're gonna step on each other's toes sometimes. But that's just that's not abnormal, that's normal. That's normal. And so go into this knowing that when you're in the arena, when you participate in God's kingdom. It's going to be difficult. That's why keeping short accounts is so important in our families and this family here. Because we're going to hurt one another. That's that's the reality. But we got to be willing to <coughs> extend grace. i got to be willing to extend grace to you, to, to everybody. Because you're going to say some things that hurt me. And I'll be mad for a while, but I'll reconcile with you. Don't worry. You should reconcile with me, too. So let us pray. Father God, I do um, thank you that you are constantly constantly at work in our lives. I praise you that that because of Christ Father God that, that you you love us you like us, I thank you that because of him Lord that that we would never 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 be forsaken by you no matter what we're going through no matter what we're dealing with. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would truly know what it truly means to live a gospel-grace-centered life. That we would know what that's like, to know that we are accepted in spite of us. We are loved in spite of us. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of the gospel. And so as we go out and engage in ministry, as we go out into family, help us not to lose sight of the correct perspective. And that is Jesus every day, all the time, for all eternity. No matter what we do, he is always at the center. I thank you for that, Father. In Christ's name.